Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about game complexity, both when learning to play and playing the game, and how these two things can be very different for the same game, from a minute to learn, a lifetime to master, to longer to learn than to play. How does game complexity (laughs) affect our enjoyment of the game? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and a huge thanks to all our other patrons as well. And Happy New Year to everybody, even though I think it's been a week. But how has your New Year's been going so far? It's been going. We're like like 2% into the year already. Time is flying. I've been sick all year, so. (laughs) All year. (laughs) All year. All of 2020. So it is the most miserable year yet. Thus far. I mean, but it can only get better. I'm looking forward to 2020. There's just something about 2020. It's like, we're literally in the future. I guess, not really literally. We're literally in the present. But (laughs) you're, like... It feels like a future year. Right. It does feel like a future year. Yeah. And I just love saying, oh, it's the 20s. We're now past the years, what, like, from back to the future, when they went to the future. Isn't that? Yeah. It's crazy. A lot of the Back to the Future stuff does exist, though. Not in the excess that they showed, but most of it is there. Yeah, I mean, I got my hoverboard. So, all right, hoverboards and flying cars, not not quite there yet. But everything else is pretty darn close. I want the dehydrated pizza thing. That that exists. Your clothes are now dry. Not like that. It doesn't exist in the commercial world, but there's dehydrated pizzas out there. Yeah, but not like a little like floppy disk sized <laughs> Pizza Hut thing that just pops that you right put out. In your then. Black and Decker oven, right? Yeah, nobody knows what a floppy disk is anymore. You have to say like a Blu-ray sized pizza that you put <laughs> into the oven. <laughs> We're in the future. It's twenty twenty. When's the last Come time on, I kitty. used a floppy disk? Apparently, floppy disk is only a unit of measurement to me now for like size comparisons. It's the new. Is it bigger than a bread box? Because nobody uses a bread box either. No, it's just a 3D printed save icon. We were playing Insider the other day for over the holidays. And we, one of the things was, is it bigger than a bread box? And one of the teenagers asked, is like, how big is a bread box anyway? What is a bread box? <laughs> my heart. At least my grandparents had a bread box. Um, I don't know that I've ever actually seen one in real life. But it's one of those things where you just all know what it is. My friend had one growing up. I didn't have a bread box, but my friend had one growing up. Growing up, and I was like, "Ah, so, all right, listeners, write in who had a bread box." <laughs> yeah, and Did you have a bread I'm box curious- going up, or were you bread box adjacent? Yeah, I want to know what a bread box do- did. I mean, it was it like a humidifying Nothing. thing, or was it just like a piece of like a wooden box? I believe it was, it wooden- was supposed to keep mice from eating your bread. Yeah. It was a place to put your bread. Uh, well, that's that's good. I, as long as it has some kind of use. Yeah, we started using a butter dish. And it's one of those things that I never planned to use in my adult life. But, like, we have a butter dish because we got it for our wedding. And so now we always have, like, a room temperature stick of butter that's handy with bagels. It's great. I love my butter dish. I have several that's- butter dishes because my mom is a crazy person. And she loves to go antiquing. So she excuses her compulsive buying behavior by buying things for us obviously yeah. doesn't so count if she's not buying dish. it for herself <laughs> yeah now i need a 2020 butter dish um 
<laughs> okay. So we have a few other things to talk about before we get into our topic. So we're going to... No, gonna back to force, butter dishes. I'm going to force this along. <laughs> we're getting out of bread boxes of butter dishes. Um, just, we are <laughs> part of the Dice Tower Network, <laughs> as we mention every episode. And Kitty and I do Dice Tower News. So um, I feel obligated to mention that the Dice Tower Kickstarter is currently live. It just went live... Well, as you're hearing this yesterday, um, lots of different promos, lots of different uh, swag-like things. The Dice Tower, if you don't know what the Dice Tower is, that would be odd. Um, but not everyone like follows everything they do, but they do... Not everyone listens to the last 45 seconds of our show, either. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but the Dice Tower is the largest group of people that do video reviews, uh, their podcasts, they have nightly, not nightly, but weekly YouTube shows. Um, like it's, they really do a great amount of work for our hobby. So it's worth supporting them. Um, they make most of their money off their Kickstarter each year. So it's, you know, go out, check it out. It's not like you're just throwing money at them. They're throwing stuff back at you. And Tom's really cool. And everyone at the Dice Tower is actually really, really cool. So um, check out the Dice Tower Kickstarter. It If you've never done a Kickstarter before, it's not a bad first one to do. It's pretty easy. You just kind of say, I want these promos. And they say, okay. And then they send them to you eventually. It does take a little bit of while because they wait for all the promos to get from the publishers. And then... I don't know if this is big news, but it is news that we're breaking here um, because Kitty and I have been doing Dice Tower news for uh, over a year now, except for the last two weeks because we've been on holiday hiatus, but we will have an episode this Thursday. But we will only be doing four more episodes, and then we are Dice Tower out. Dice Tower news out. Still Dice Tower Network in. Um, But... (laughs) We are looking for a new host. So if you or host, however you want to do it, um, when we got a hold of Tom last year and asked about this, he gave us a lot of flexibility in the format, um, put us in touch with Eric to do all the voiceover stuff and all the different segments. Um, but if it's something that you are interested in doing, you are, you know want to do a podcast, and uh, we can certainly help you out with how we do our research, how we do our notes, our editing, all that stuff, we will help you get I'll get all set if you need. If you don't, then just reach out to us. Um, but yeah, so if you're interested in being a news host, and Kitty, you've been doing the editing for a while now, so how long would you say a full episode takes start to finish with research on your end? Start to finish on my end probably takes about half an hour to do my section of the notes, which is the easy part. <laughs> and then the back end editing, it depends on how good we did at reading, but usually about an hour of editing, posting, listening to make sure that the editing is good kind of stuff. So probably like an hour and a half all in. So we'll run that up to two hours. It usually Plus takes recording me about, time, too. Yep. Yep. So it usually takes me about four to six hours. So you're looking at about an eight hours uh, from start to publish for a show. But it's fun. You can break it up. And if you're doing it yourself, you can, like I say, you can have a lot more freedom. There's a, a site called Dicetowernews.com. And, you know, it really, it could be as simple as just reading the new articles from the Dice Tower News thing. And they could be doing all the notes because most of the time isn't doing the notes. Yeah. So. And we do a lot of different segments. And you came up with these segments. So, you know, you pour a lot of time into them, but you don't have to do them all. Nope. Um, so yeah. So if you're if you're interested in doing that, reach out to us. Uh, send me an email at feedback at 
tabletopgametalk.com, not to news at dicetower.com because we will never see that. Um, but send me, send me an email. Let me know you're interested. Put in, you know, interested in Dice Tower news or whatever. And we'll go from there. So no promises, but like, I mean, Tom gets the final say in it. But I figured our listeners are probably some of the most qualified to take over. So I wanted to break the news here first. Uh, we will also mention it on Dice Tower News Normal. And if you've never listened to Dice Tower News, but it sounds like something interesting to do, well, go listen because it's cool, Fletcher. <laughs> um, all right. Should we talk about a topic? Certainly. <laughs> so back to I, butter dishes. <laughs> back to butter dishes. <laughs> I prefer antique depression glass butter dishes. <sighs> Spencer likes them to be transparent so you can see if there's butter in it from across the room. And in the next episode of Tabletop Butter Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Tabletop Butter Talk. <laughs> do you butter your toe do you butter your bread butter side up or butter side down? <laughs> Do you I, have a I have bread to box go get a cough drop. You two are killing me. <laughs> <laughs> so over the holidays, I played a number of games, and yesterday, over the weekend, oh, the weekend I played a couple games too, and over this weekend I played Star Wars Outer Rim. Have you guys seen this game? I haven't. I've heard of it. All right, both of you, I'm giving you permission to Google screenshots of it right now because it'll help a little bit while I'm I'm explaining this this game has a modular board there are multiple ships there are crew there are 13 different decks of cards to draw from there's dice um and a few few other bits and bobs here it looks super super complicated i'm like but i want to play it i've heard good things i'm going to try this out i set it up i read the rules and within 20 minutes maybe I said, this game is super, super easy. It's going to also be super, super fun. And it made me think, even though this game looks complicated, and it can be a little bit, it's, I mean, it's a, it, while you're playing the game, the rules themselves are so easy to teach that it doesn't actually matter. Because you just sit down, here are the rules, and then you just start playing. And I more and more, I'm thinking that these types of games, these super easy to learn, but really... Um, sort of deep during the gameplay types of games are my favorite things, and I want to kind of like look into this a bit more. So, are you seeing this game right now? Yes, mm-hmm. literally There's like a lot a board of stuff. like an arc. Yeah. So the idea of the game is you're like one of the like a, you could be a smuggler, or a bounty hunter. Um, you're the kind of underbelly of the Star Wars world, where and it's a pick up and deliver game. So, you, well, you find Baby Yoda. No, but there is IG-88 in it. So the the droid from Mandalorian is in it. And I haven't actually gone through all the stuff. I only played once. So there might be a Baby Yoda, but I don't think so yet. Uh, did you finish the season? Uh, I did, and it was quite good. I'm I, sorry, I'll stop going off topic. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's sort of on topic, sort of. Um, it's topic butter adjacent. Dishes. It's better than butter dishes. <laughs> it is better than butter dishes. But yeah, so you're going around and you're getting jobs and bounties and you're trying to get fame. Many, many people compare this to the Firefly game, but it's but they have said, I've not played the Firefly game, but they say it's more streamlined and shorter. Um, I compare it to Zaya because that's the other game like this that I've played where you're flying around the universe and, you know, you can battle things and get jobs. And that Zaya is more of a pick up and deliver because um, you're actually just picking up generic resources. But the the game itself isn't really the point. 
how easy it was to get into. Because there were three of us that, you know, we had a friend come over and, hi, Jen. And we just decided that, hey, let's try this out. And we got down and we played and there was, you know, occasionally we had an almost one-year-old sleeping. Sometimes we had an almost one-year-old that we were feeding, (laughs) but we were able to continue playing the game the entire time. We took a break for pizza because I said no pizza in the game room, but that was not the game's fault. That was How mean. I know. I know. It it is. Yeah. But pizza. This is a new rule. Pizza, juice, and cards. They just don't go together. I was allowed to eat breakfast pastries in the game room. Breakfast pastries are fine. Pop-Tarts are fine. Toaster strudels are not. These were like muffins from the coffee shop. Muffins are okay, too, because those are just crumbs. This is getting into a different topic. But this is an important topic, too, so I don't mind. There's certain things that are allowed. We have covered this before in many (laughs) topic-adjacent episodes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So it started... Anyway, I started thinking about another game I really, really really wanted to play, even more than Star Wars Outer Rim, because that game was just like, oh, people have been talking good things about it, I want to check it out, was Marocabo. I've been talking about this one in Dice Tower News forever. This was Alexander Pfister, same designer as Great Western Trail, one of my top five games of all time. I couldn't get through the rule book, so I tried a how to play, and then I tried another one. And after about an hour and a half, I just packed the game up. I was too tired to actually... Try playing the game. What was I will the make last it- game that that happened to you with? Um, First Martians was probably the one that I can think of that was... <laughs> that was going to be my guess. Yeah. And, and actually, that's a great example, too. First Martians is a game that is, well, for me, was <laughs> way overly complicated for what it was. And in that game, like the amount of gameplay versus the amount of time that you had to manage the game or like follow fiddly rules just didn't make it worth it. So anyway, that's a long-winded introduction to this topic. Um, what for you guys are like games that have you if you come across a game that was a either just way too complicated to even worry about continuing to play or B you thought it was going to be complicated but it turned out was really quite simple and not too hard to get into at all. Fletcher, you can go first. Um, I see you have something on the tip of your tongue. A game that was really complicated was Kingdom Death Monster, and it was as complicated as I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Especially since, like, it's almost like a miniature building, and, like, if you're into miniatures, that's great. But it's like, you get get a giant box of stuff, and it's like, you get to build miniatures. And I was like, I have to build miniatures? And that's before you can even read the rule book. I mean, I guess you can read the rule book first. I mean, you you can read the rule book, but, like, I mean, or you can just use pieces of paper for stuff, but, like... (laughs) um, But, yeah, like, uh, there's a lot of rules in that game that are kind of fiddly and weird, and then you, like, unlock different kind of, like, stores and things as you upgrade and you find new pieces and you beat monsters and like when people die like things happen it's like oh like someone died for the first time there's a special rule for that someone was born there's a special rule for that oh that's your first birth <laughs> first birth special rule for that like and you can't you keep on having to go back to the rule book to figure out like what you need to do um for and all this if stuff. i remember correctly too that rule book is like a half inch thick uh it's not that thick but it is it's really big and it's actually like a really nice rule book. It's like a full color. I mean, it has too many like pages in it that are just like full color illustrations. It's like, Hey, this is an art book 
as well as an instruction manual. When sometimes you really just want like something quick to like half the time you just go on your iPad and like Google the rules that way. So you can like quickly look it up because flipping through that thing is just, it's too tedious. And and it pulls away from the fun of the game. In some cases, the thing is, you know, Kingdom Death Monsters are people that love it and love that complexity. But at the same time, if you're, if you're casually playing it, you play it maybe, you know, once or twice a month. And that's a lot for most groups. You have to reteach yourself most of these rules every time. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I had to do. And I would say I would, I would liken it to like, if, if Sid Meier's Civilization, like, created a board game of that computer game, and you had all those things that you had to manage and, like, keep track of and move around, and there's so many different unlocks, like, it would be like that. So, funny story, there is a Civilization board game, and it is but based is it off as the complicated Sid as the computer game? I'm going to check, because I'm wondering. I'm going Because I almost feel game. like Kingdom Death Monster would probably make a better video game in the same vein that like civilization it it's kind of like a board like a computerized board game um it, it'd be so better in that that should probably be one of our future topics is that exact concept of this would make a better video game because there are some board games that become so complicated that it's like okay i get what you're trying to do and i understand that creating a video game is expensive and it's much cheaper to create a board game version of something but at a certain point when do you say enough's enough this should just be a video game cuz i would I don't maybe know, like- lump first martian in with that where there's so much board upkeep that could be just done automatically like in a second instead of somebody having to go through piece by piece and upkeeping all of that stuff yeah. Well, and that's the thing with First Martian. Like, the rules themselves aren't all that complicated, but you spend most of your time managing the states of the game, not making decisions about what to do in the game. So there, that complexity is so high compared to what you get out of there. I think, and I haven't revisited it, but I think at the time we mentioned that you are making in a typical game somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight decisions total. For a two-hour game. And it, it, that's not even exaggeration, right? It's just each of your turns, you're going to put two cubes in two spots. And oftentimes, they're just going to be the same spot. And that is it. You have around eight or so turns to solve the problem. And oh, you're done. Too much, too complex for what it is. What yeah. about you, Kitty? Something that's like crazy complex that you've played, liked, disliked? I mean, the only thing I can think of that was crazy complex, which for me, I don't play a lot of heavier games. So um, Arkham Horror, the living card game, you gave me the starter box for that for research for a two player game. And you basically gave it to me and said, there's no way you're actually going to play this. (laughs) And you were right. Um, I started reading one rule book and realized it was the wrong book. So I started with the book that said I should start with it. <laughs> and then that was too hard for me to follow because I don't do logical steps well. So <laughs> I watched a video and about halfway through the video, I was like, hmm, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Arkham Horror is one of my favorite games of all time. It's another top five game of mine. But it did take me about a year and a half before I finally took the plunge to learn the rules. 
And even now, like, I can set it up and play it without the rulebook totally fine, except I have to have the reference card. Without the reference card, I've just never even tried playing it without the reference card for, like, the turn orders and stuff. But even now, that game can be so complicated. The only saving grace of it is it's a co-op game, so I can ignore certain timing rules and those types of things if I want to, because it's my game, so we can play it the way we want to play it. But it is a very complicated rule system. It was also, you know, reading it with playing two players in mind, because you can also play it solo, but it's recommended, even if you're playing it solo, to play two characters. So trying to read that book to get not just myself to understand it, but myself to understand it enough to teach it to Spencer, it was like, this is never going to happen. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. I actually don't like the theme very much either, so it lost me so many ways. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what happened with Maricabo, is I, like... I'm like, okay, I might have enough information where I could start playing this game, but I have to teach someone else how to play it now that I know how to do it. It's like, and it's just like, no, I, I can't, I just can't do that. So Board Game Geek has a weight rating with all of its games. And I started thinking about, I just kind of wrote down a list of games that I thought had this kind of complex rules or complex game interactions. And then I started going and looking them up on BoardGameGeek. So we've talked about a number of these so far. Um, we've talked about Kingdom Death Monster. It is the most complicated of all the games I've written down here, and probably one of the most complicated games on BoardGameGeek, to be honest. Um, it is All these are rated from 1 to 5, and these are voted on by users. So a user will come in and vote its complexity. Kingdom Death is a 4.22, which, again, is one of the highest... I've seen, I haven't seen anything higher than that. Maricabo is a 3.88. So that made me think, well, what is Great Western Trail? Is a 3.69. I'm like, okay, I can see that. Great Western Trail is not the most complicated. Well, it's not the easiest of games. Um, but once I got the hang of it, it became pretty simple. And then I looked at Star Wars Outer Rim, which was a 2.45. So it is on the other side of complicated. Uh, another game that we've been we started playing this weekend is Clank Legacy, which, by the way, is amazing. Everyone should go out, drop $100, get Clank Legacy, find three friends or two friends or one friend. You need at least one friend and play this game. It is awesome. Um, but its complexity is two and a half. So, like, again, right in that middle. So, the two games that I really enjoyed over the last week, Star Wars Outer Rim and Clank Legacy, were, like, right in this sweet spot of just complex, but not too simple, but not too complicated. All right, I want you to, I don't see this on the list. First Martians, what do you think its weight is Ooh, on BGG? All right. This is, all right, I'm not, not uh, don't I'm look gonna it give up, it, guess. I'm going to give it a 3.17. Fletcher, you have any guesses? Uh, I have You've not never played, played this it. game, I don't so think I you've don't ever know. seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just looked up a picture of it, but I have not played the game, so it's complicated. I don't, I don't know. So you're saying above complicated, above yeah, two point five, uh, above two point five. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three point two five. Four point one seven. All right, I'll give it that. Second only to Kingdom Death that I see on here. Yeah, and and the reason I think it's complicated is because of the fiddly. There's so much, and it runs, and there's an app that runs the game, and it's still so fiddly. Um, but I'm not trying to vent on like complicated <laughs> games i'm just trying it, to like point out where these games fall in the complexity so you can kind of get a feel for what you like or don't like based on that complexity rating does it have yeah. gloomhaven on that list 
Yep, Gloomhaven is a three point eight one. Okay, I was gonna say there's some there's some fiddly bits to Gloomhaven. It's mainly well, like the character man- management. Yep. Well, so Gloomhaven, yeah, Gloomhaven has a number of items that make it complex, um, and it's not the core mechanic. The core mechanic of how you play like a hand management mechanic is great. That's just yeah, super straightforward. Yep, awesome. How the monsters move, how the monsters are, you know, each time you have multiple decks for each monster, you have multiple monsters in a scenario, you have to set up the scenarios. Makes sense. Which tiles do we need? Yep. Um, The elements, how those work, Um, damage in different tiles, how things get pushed back when they, if they get pushed, what things can move. Like this is another one where there's a ton of different things that happen and they're like all these edge cases. with us, when we played Gloomhaven, we actually simplified a few things, and I'm just like, this, nah, I don't like this, this, and this, so I'm changing it. Again, cooperative. So if I don't like the way the elemental fading out works, we just got rid of it. It's like, eh, the element's either on or it's off. It doesn't go away until it's used. It benefits monsters. It benefits us. It's the same. It's a wash. We're fine. Controlling summons. We can control our summons. I don't want to use monster rules for summons. It doesn't, it's just, it's not fun for us, so we're just getting rid of that. Harder to do with games that are competitive, but, you know, with Gloomhaven, you can kind of make it simpler for yourself. What do you think, and this is on the sheet, so if you guys have seen it, um, then you're cheating, but uh, chess, the complexity of chess. I looked at this one already. I'm a cheater. (laughs) I I don't know. Um, 2.1? So that's interesting. If you went to the opposite side, it's 3.72. Really? This is... Yeah, this is a game that is very, this is, falls under the minute to learn, lifetime to master category, which I think yeah. is Othello's tagline. Chess is very, very complicated. I mean, scores of books have been written about this game. But I mean, but, just learning the movements and how to play is pretty simple. Yes. Yep. And that's where I like these emerging complexities. So learning the rules, relatively easy and straightforward. But learning how to be good at the game, that's where I really like my complexity to live. Right. And that's where chess complexity lives. It's not in learning the rules. The The rules are, you know, there's, what, eight pieces on the board, or eight different pieces? And not even that, I think six different pieces. Um, so you yeah. learn those movements, and boom, you're done, right? There's and, a few other special rules, but yeah, castling and en passant, things like that, but yeah. All right, castling, I know, en passant. Oompa Loompa? I, that one I don't know. <laughs> Ampassant is, uh, I believe it's if your pawn has yet to move, so it's in its starting position, um, it can move forward twice and like attack to the diagonal and remove a, and remove a piece at the same time. It's something like that. I have. But it can only I do have, it once and it's on its first move. Huh. I have never heard of that move ever in my life. Yeah. It was used against me one time and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> or maybe they were just trying to, like when it's like oh no no this is how we play no this was like a really nerdy like chess kid and i was like yeah okay i'll play you and i didn't know he was like really good he was i, I don't know i think i was like 17 and he was like 11 and i was like okay i'll play you in chess <laughs> but little did i know that he was like in every chess club and like super good at this game and he just like kicked my ass and i was yeah. like uh okay well not gonna play you again <laughs> <laughs> Well, our our match with that is Homeworlds. And Homeworlds, um, actually, it's been a while since we've talked about it, but this is Ugh. a abstract <laughs> game that Kitty refuses to learn. It's not I'm all- incapable of learning. <laughs> it's just like a mental thing. Like, you start describing it, and I know that I'm not stupid, but every time, well, it's just like my the- brain glazes over. Well, one of the reasons to make 
to give an abstract game a theme is to help with learning. And Homeworlds is really like a quintessential, as abstract as you can get, right? It's just these colored pyramids that can be used for all kinds of different games. Um, but it's another game where there's actually only six moves in the game that you can learn, and the complexity comes from how those moves are used. And that was a 3.38. So that's, like, again, something that's relatively easy to learn, and it's still super complex to play. Um Oh, here's a good one that I actually this one was not rated where I thought it would be. And that was photosynthesis. To me, this game should have a complexity in the mid threes. To the people on Board Game Geek, it's a 2.28. Now, I think that photosynthesis is something that's super, super easy to learn. And if you don't think about it, if you just play it casually, it looks like a very simple game. But if you play it with Josh, it becomes a 3.5. Because you can hyperthink this game through and you can make it super, super complicated. And you will do really, really well at it if you do. Yes, because it is open information. You have everything you need to see is right there. You just have to take your time to think it through. I think it goes up there like with chess. Yeah, it seriously, what you put into it is what you get out of it. So if people are playing it at this level, you know. Makes sense. Yep. And, and I think matter- I would enjoy it much more at a 2.2 level instead of <laughs> the 3.5 where we were playing. Well, speaking of 2.2 level, your favorite game right now, which I'm assuming is Wingspan, is a 2.37. Yeah. I've been looking up some of my favorite games because I notice you put a lot of Chris games on your list here, but not well, a lot of my notes. games. Most of mine <laughs> fall, though, between like 1.8 and a 2.8. And that is a very, very useful thing to know. So, again, I don't know that a lot of people pay attention to the weight um, because the number doesn't actually change all that much. It's usually between, you know, 1.8 to maybe 4. And they rarely go outside of that range. But if you find the complexity range that you like, that's kind of like a, a trick into saying, oh, am I going to enjoy this game? Let me take a look at this. You know, Keyforge is right in the middle. Keyforge's complexity is 2.58. Magic the Gathering's complexity is 3.19. I would say that Magic the Gathering could be far more complex than that, depending on how you approach the game. But just as far as like... Or far simpler. Yep. Um, But it is a very easy game to learn. And really the game, like most of these card games, is, you know, here are the basic rules and the cards break all those rules. So when the basic rule I just taught you... It's going to be overridden a lot based on the cards. And then building those decks and how those decks interact with each other kind of build that complexity out of there to the point where you can build a computer out of Magic the Gathering and actual game mechanics, which is really cool. If you care about that, you should listen to Dice Tower News. <laughs> yeah. There, it's it's just... Those are the kind of geeky things Chris talks about. <laughs> I'm sorry. When I saw this video of a guy who, well, the guy actually was just doing, um, built the deck based on uh, some PhD research papers. But there is a Magic the Gathering deck that you can build and a certain hand that you can draw, an opening hand that you can draw, that once you've done that, it, within the rules of the game, following all all the normal rules, you can literally build a computer. And the computer will run 
each time you take your turn, you'll do something and you're forced in a particular order because that's just how the cards force you. Then you're done. Then your opponent goes. They can't do anything. They pass back to you. All of this stuff is legal and there's no decisions to be made. It's literally set up into being a computer. When you can do that, you deserve a complexity that's higher than 3.19. At least that (laughs) deck does. (laughs) So the deck plays itself. So a game that I've been really enjoying is Fox in the Forest. And this is a two-player trick-taking game. And this one only had like a 1.5 complexity rating. And I think this is one that falls in the same category as photosynthesis. And it is how you play it really depends on how complex it is. Because the way me and Spencer play this game, coming from a background of playing cutthroat trick-taking games, we are very competitive about this. And there can be a lot of strategy about what you play when. And this is another one where, like, cards have special abilities and when you use them really matters and how you play this. And I think it deserves at least somewhere in the twos. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. But you could probably say that with many, many games. Um, Actually, no, there's a couple of games you can't. I'll, I'll throw in a couple <laughs> that to counter my Let's point. Let's go the that. opposite way. Although Splendor. I totally cut Fletcher off. So we want to go back to Fletcher talking. Oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> So let's take a look at Splendor. Splendor is not a complicated game. Nope. It is easy. It is, I mean, I'm going to say fun because I do enjoy playing it when I play it. But <laughs> I play it. I'll call it fun, sure. I'll call it fun. <laughs> but but there's no strategy with Splendor, right? It's kind of, sure Splendor is. to me, well, okay. Let me, do you guys agree that Tic-Tac-Toe has no strategy? Uh, it has very basic strategy. It has it has a very simple strategy, and once you learn yeah. that strategy, it's you should never. No one should ever win really or lose. lose. But okay. you can always beat a child because you, as an adult, know the basic strategy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, it has a strategy. So I'm going to disagree with both of you because I think you guys are thinking strategy as in a way to play, not a way to win. Tic tac toe, you can't win. There's no well, winning you, strategy. You, you can win. You can win. If I've you're playing it. against somebody who doesn't know, doesn't know the, the strategy. strategy. <laughs> okay, fair, 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 fair. That's sort of how I feel Splendor is. Splendor has a very straightforward strategy. And if you play it by that strategy, one of one of the players is going to get there first because there's no draws in Splendor. But ultimately, it is a coin toss when you're playing Splendor who's going to win. It's still... A fun thing to do with family, and it's a still nice, light, entryweight game. Um, even giving it a 1.8 uh, complexity seems a little high for me. Fox in the Forest deserves better than Splendor. <laughs> <laughs> I think Splendor just has more cards going on. There's more things going on, and that's what drives it up. Um, Century Spice Road is slightly less complex than, according to Board Game Geek, all these are Board Game Geek ratings, um, at 1.78, so approximately the same as Splendor. And a lot of people compare these games to each other. They're like, oh yeah, you know, Century Spice Road is a lot like Splendor. In complexity, and I think that's not, not necessarily, they don't say in complexity, but I think that complexity is something that kind of guides people into that same mindset. When I'm playing this, it feels like when I'm playing that, because those complexities come very, very similar in the same way. Yeah, I will say there's other similarities between those games, but that is definitely a reason they feel similar. Is they are similar both not just like in the the weight averaging between the complexity to learn and the complexity to play, but they are similar enough in gameplay 
that the feel, like, if you're looking at a game group, oh, I can pull out either of these games and know that this group will be cool with it. Yeah, it has some light tableau slash engine building mechanisms to each one. One of my favorite games, Gizmos, Complexity 1.99. That is also another engine building game. All these games I really, really like. Apparently, I like simple games. Um, although we mentioned Arkham Horror. Did I mention the complexity for Arkham Horror being 3.34? No, I don't think we got yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, although, speaking of Arkham Horror, Marvel Champions, that one's just a, a new LCG, also cooperative, also by FFG. That one has a complexity of 2.63. Much easier to learn, much lower barrier of entry, much easier to set up, play, the deck building. Everything about the game is easier. Um, potentially more streamlined as well. Uh, there's not as much, not as many fiddly bits, but so you can see like that's a drastic change in complexity for two games that are relatively similar in what they're trying to do. I'll also say though, that I think some of this has to do with the people who have played so far. Marvel Champions is super new. People who casually come across games might not have tried it and rated it yet. So those people might give it a higher complexity level than people who already are super into Arkham Horror. And coming to this, it seems so much easier than that, that obviously it gets a less a lower score. So I think that the the amount of time something has been on Board Game Geek being weighed, I guess, will um, also affect their ratings. Yeah, and, and like when you're looking at reviews too, so like Marvel Champions has an 8.4 overall rating, right? Again, this is on a scale from 1 to 10, but nobody gets to 10 because it's crowd, re- crowd ratings. Um, but when you look at something like, um, Marvel Champions, a number of people who voted, number of reviews is 2.6K, so 2,600. Number of people who have voted on weight is 92. Now, most of those people, have voted over half have voted that it's a medium weight game, which is like three. And then the next one is about a third of the voters rated it as a light game, which is a two. So you have to kind of take that as a grain of salt with a grain of salt, but only one person has rated this as a heavy game. Um, and that like, it gives you a pretty good feel for what that is. Now, if we look at Arkham horror, again, I, this is not, wasn't necessarily supposed to be a, uh, how to use the weight value on board game geek, but, that's useful. Um, Arkham Horror is the opposite. Arkham Horror, about 54% of people, and this is, has 618 um, votes, 54% give it a 3, and then 34% give it a 4. And then the other ones are like, a, you know, 4% give it a 5, 7% give it a 2 type of thing. So you can kind of get a good feel for where most people's guts are on these games. But also... You can all like look and see. Oh, I'm looking at 92 people's opinions versus 618. Right. Yep. Um. So, where do you guys kind of fall in this complexity thing? It's like, so I, I've kind of broken this into three parts: complex rules. So there are games that are just have a ton of rules: Gloomhaven, Kingdom Death, um, Arkham Horror, and then there's complexity in interactions. So photosynthesis, chess, magic, um, and then there's convex complexity versus fiddly. So the game itself isn't really thinking complex. There's just a whole lot going on that you have to like keep track of. And there I have like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, first Martians, Gloomhaven. Um, I even threw Star Wars Outer Rim in there, 
even though I don't think it's actually, it feels fiddly because there's like so many different sections that you're setting it up, but they've done a really good job streamlining everything, even to the point where they're discarding. You don't have a separate discard deck for any pile. It's just always put face down at the bottom of the deck. That's how you discard a card. So like it clean, it's a self-cleaning game. So I think they've kind of minimized the fiddliness, even though there's so much going on there. Like where do you guys fall in this rules versus interaction stuff? In terms of what? Like, where are your tastes? Like, you've oh. played Kingdom Death Monster. Do you like that level of game? Um, yes Or are you much no. more Sushi Party Go? I mean, go party. I, I guess I do gravitate towards more complex games, as long as they're not super fiddly. Which is weird, because I play a lot of Gloomhaven, and I would say that's a fiddly game. But um, I think I, I tend towards, actually, I would say, like, maybe the extremes. I like super simple games, and I like complex games but not too complex i don't know i like good games <laughs> so really to you it sounds like it doesn't actually matter all that much if the comp- if the game is worth it you're willing to put in the time to learn complex rules or deal with complex you know yeah. game interactions and fiddliness yeah if the game is worth it i'm willing to do that um personally i will say i kind of have like three areas of games that i do and that is, I like ones that are more easy to learn, but you're playing the player. And I really enjoy playing those when I feel like I have equal footing with the person I'm playing against. Um, I don't like that being inc- beaten constantly, <laughs> which is why I don't inc- play chess or homeworlds. <laughs> so chess, homeworlds, Keyforge, Dice Masters, those Key games Forge that are... Keyforge I was keeping up with until... I got pregnant right when they released the new set, and now I'm like completely a set behind. I have no idea what's happening anymore. But the complexity isn't above dinosaurs. where you want it to be, right? Huh? The complexity is not above where you want it to be. No, I enjoy yeah. Keyforge, and I'll probably get back into it at some point, maybe. But I don't know. I really enjoyed being in at the ground floor of something, which was fun. But yeah. Um, and then I also really enjoy games where. The rules are very simple, but you're seeing a lot of different choices to make. So like Wingspan, where the birds that you come up, you have to adjust your strategies to that. And you're really playing like a puzzle against yourself, like a point salady carcassonne. This is a big favorite of mine. And then I really enjoy legacy style games where you start with a more simple streamlined game and you introduce complexity over time. And usually along with story. And I find that to be a really good way to add complexity to a game without feeling like I had to open this 900-page rulebook and learn it to teach it and then, you know, slowly lose my mind and descend into madness. <laughs> yeah. I I think that for me, it is very similar to... Um, well, not necessarily similar to you exactly, but... <laughs> my energy level for a game is directly related to the complexity of setting up the game. I'm far <laughs> more like the setup and learning the rules. Now, even once I've learned the rules, like I've been playing Gloomhaven in, uh, I guess it's been almost two years now. And I really? don't know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause Sarah moved to the East coast. So we, you know, packed up our thing. I haven't played it since we moved to the new house. And just the idea of pulling that out and playing it, I have very, very little interest in doing it because there's so much involved in getting back into that. When I was playing it every single week, it was easy because yeah. that complexity sort of faded away. But now it doesn't. So now there's a um, well, there's a Steam 
version of Gloomhaven available now uh, is in early access, so you can be you know part of while they're building it. But for me, I'm like, I'm just going to wait until that comes out to iPad, and that's when <laughs> I'll play Gloomhaven again. Um, yeah, and because then it, it just takes away the fiddly, right? Um, Kingdom Death, I opened that and closed it immediately. And said, nope, <laughs> not going to happen. Um, Marukabo, I will eventually play this, but this is going to be some point where it's going to be like one o'clock in the morning. I will have. So one of the things I do is I always go to bed late. I don't normally go to sleep till like 12 to 12 between 12 and 2 a.m. But sometimes I'll fall asleep around nine. And then I wake up with the second wind at like one or two o'clock in the morning. And I have like four hours of just like energy bursting. That's when I will play Marikabo because no one else will be around. I'm like, I'm just going to set this up. I'm going to play it against myself so I can figure out how this all works. And that's how that's going to get played. Um, in fact, that's how I start up, set up Star, uh, Star Wars Outer Rim. And then I was like, all set and done, like 45 minutes. I'm like, well, now what am I going to do? So then I played Witcher on Switch, um, which is also an amazing game. But yeah, I like these games. To get that. It's so good. So good. I've only heard good things. It, I, I, My dad I loved it. Is, yeah. All I can say is so good. Um, I just got done watching the Witcher Netflix and I'm like, oh. so good. So good. Just I, so good. We turned on like the first five minutes on Christmas and my niece walked in the room and was like, what's this? Nope. And we were like, no, never nope. mind. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good as long as you are of age. And yeah, I'm excited it's, to, you know, watch it three months from now. Yeah. It's Game of Thrones again. level of like violence and other all the other depravity stuff yes, yeah that's the word i was looking for <laughs> what is this this is not for children that's what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you will never be old enough for this i'm not old enough for this but i'm going to watch it because no one's gonna tell me no um but no i like i said i'm for these super complex games i really have to be in the right mindset for it even something like homeworlds which i love I still can't play that game back to back to back because it is exhausting. Like there's just, there's too much thinking. One of the reasons I really like Keyforge is because I can play it in a mode where I'm just playing it for fun and I'm not trying to win and optimize everything. And when I do that, it's kind of like revitalizes me versus kind of like draining me. When I'm playing at a tournament level, it's only six games in a day, but it is an exhausting day because I'm just like on the entire time. Um, but yeah, I mean, a couple other games I want to point out here. So Wingspan, we talked about just going down the Stonemeyer games. Um, Scythe is a 3.38 and then Tapestry is a 2.83. So Wingspan 2.37, Tapestry 2.83, Scythe 3.38. Each one I skips up by half a point. I see your bias here with not including Viticulture. Oh, all right. Hold on. I'm going to guess Viticulture is a 3. Point Oh no. I'm looking Scythe at the Essentials 8. edition. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say two point nine. Two point nine three. Nailed right. it. <laughs> yep. So Chris basically, is gonna start like... his carnival stand any minute now. <laughs> I know. Bring me a game, name... bring me a game. I'll guess its weight. <laughs> Which is funny because you and guess complexity. people's weight. <laughs> that was the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, but yeah, it felt a little bit more complicated than Tapestry, but definitely less so than Scythe. Scythe but is one of those ones that once you start getting like, you know, four turns in, you're like, oh, this wasn't so hard to learn. So say, honestly, Wingspan, I have a hard time teaching to people because the um, like place your cube mechanic just throws people off. And like, yeah. 
that's a that's one I don't know, maybe I'm just teaching people who don't often play games so they don't pick it up as quickly. But the when you place you have to place your cube, you're gonna move it, you're gonna get these powers. It totally makes sense if you just you have to do it like I'm showing you, because otherwise you will have no idea what's happening. <laughs> I will say that that's a uh graphic design issue that top row in wingspan it doesn't make doesn't, sense it looks like a header row not an action row yeah if it had yeah. if it looked like an action row it would make that particular action far clearer that's the big problem there but i understand why they did it yeah no no no. i mean it makes sense once you've played it but as far as teaching um iconography and graphic design goes a long way theme goes a long way like you can literally reduce complexity of a game by giving it an immersive theme because it then becomes more intuitive simply because that theme is an understandable concept and graphic design terraforming mars i still have a hard time with because the graphic design doesn't make sense to me the and it's not a hard game once i get past it Oh right, because then you have like the other brown backing ones, and the, like the, the symbols gray have gray squares. Yeah, what the, does this mean? I don't know. Yeah. I can never remember yeah. what all the symbols mean. Yeah, well, and it it goes away. Like all with all, all these things that we're talking about complexity. Um, if you're out there and you're saying, "Wait a minute, that game's not complex," blah blah blah, whatever. If you play a game multiple times, it automatically becomes less complex to you. That which is, I think, why Wingspan has a much lower complexity rating than. I would give it like a teaching rating. It is a hard game to teach to people the first round. Like you have to get a few rounds in to understand this, like how you take your turn, like the action mechanic of like the cube placement, the rows, what it all means. Once you get past that, you're like, oh, this is so simple. This is so straightforward. I got it. But that learning curve at the beginning is really steep. And I'm sure people who are going on BGG and reviewing it are not people who are still learning it. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of these games, especially for BGG, it's they've played it a few times, or they've either played it a few times before they rated it, or it's a one-time play. My first impression is this. And I think for complexity, first impression is probably the best way to rate something. Um, I, I think. I don't know. It's I'm going to start rating all my games in complexity from now on, just to kind of get a feel for it. Um, I want to do a couple more of these because they're kind of fun, though. Uh, Fletcher, what is the complexity complexity of Sushi Go Party? Uh, well, I mean, it, it's fairly easy to learn. So I would say maybe like 1.5? 1.33. Okay. I was going to give it a 1.7. 1.7? 1.7. I don't know. I mean, I guess it is a drafting game. Um, There's drafting. Kitty. Like, you have to remember all the different kinds of things and how many of them are out there or does it tell you because that uh, does think, change my answer it I think the doesn't cards tell you you put them all in but then it's like you mix the big deck together and then you deal out the cards so you don't know like technically you might not get any yeah. of a particular suit of cards yeah and i guess if, if you're counting cards you can make it more complex yeah. um what about code names either of you oh man uh 1.8 i was gonna guess 1.6 1.3 well 1.31 but less less complex than sushi go I'm just really thrown off by the rating for Fox in the Forest. Like, <laughs> I can't handle this. Um, all right, Chris, Blood Rage. <coughs> all right, Blood Rage is Blood Rage is a three point one. Two point eight. Ooh, that's pretty far off on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, they did win a prize. 
I could see it go a number of ways because Blood Rage has some complex elements to it. Uh, I don't know. It feels it does to me. It still feels more complex than a two point eight. So I will say that most, almost everyone is putting it at a three, but there is a small percentage that is skewing it a little bit lower. Like, but there is a huge majority of votes. It's like six hundred and fifty-eight are putting it at three, but then like a hundred and ninety have pushed it down just that little bit so it is a 2.87 so almost a three almost i would say it's like a three because it's again it's one of those things like the rules are easy to learn but then there's so many different ways that you can apply those rules to the game well then you like, no, i want all my guys to die i get more points yeah. that way well then how unless you josh's things. monster kills them because i wanted them to die in ragnarok <laughs> i'll never but- let it go <laughs> <laughs> Well, then you have the thing where you know you're drafting different strategies and combinations and stuff. But I think, I mean, honestly, something like Blood Rage is a good, um, it's a good middleweight game. Where if you were just to say, is this more or less complicated than Blood Rage? You'd probably be on the right side of that bell curve. That's true. As you go through, um, and it's hard to guys- find those games in the middle. Have you played this, Chris? It's a uh, the Jackbox party games. There's one where. Like the video, the like the video game ones or internet ones right right now. So Jackbox Jack. party games, they're like um, one of they're called like Quiplash, Gaspionage. I don't know. There's like a pack of them, but they're it's on the Switch. It's a video game. Um, but one of them you do have to guess. So one person guesses a percentage of like a random question, the way you would kind of think like a Family Feud question. So like you're trying to guess the percentage of people who keep their phone on silent all the time. And then everyone else gets to guess higher or lower to earn points. And this is a this reminds me of that. I just did a terrible job describing this video game. No, no, no. <laughs> I I totally. Well, I was thinking uh, you don't know Jack. And- yeah. I think this is like you don't know Jack is the same like brand of games. The same company. Yeah. Potentially, yeah. They now like put together party packs that you can buy on Switch and other gaming platforms. But now I'm wondering what percentage of people keep their phone on silent. I mean, I me guess, and my mom both do. <laughs> we get in trouble for it all like the time. Eighty <laughs> percent, at least. No, I'd say the vast majority. I don't know. See, anyone. that's why this game is fun. Yeah, I'd put it at like, uh, I'd put it around fifty percent and make everyone no, else guess. No way, it's definitely more than that because I think anytime someone's phone actually rings or makes a sound, I'm like, how obnoxious are you? <laughs> <laughs> but like, a lot of old people do it. Well, old people are obnoxious. That's a case in point. Um, and I think there's a lot more young people who have phones. No. Everyone has a phone now. Because even the know. old people now are not like... They don't have landlines. They don't have their jitterbugs anymore. No one has... Yeah. yeah. Sydney's dad does not have a phone. Like, he has no idea how to use a, uh, like a cellular phone or a smart... Like, at all. Like, none whatsoever. I think if Maybe I'm need- skewed by my parents, because my parents are extremely technologically savvy, as demonstrated by the fact that my dad has played Witcher on PS3 or whatever. Yeah. How old is your dad? 71. And still plays the, mo- the latest, like, PlayStation-, PlayStation games whenever they come out. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what he does with go. his retirement, is <laughs> <laughs> he plays video games on his PlayStation. Uh, that's a good retirement, though. I cannot begrudge him that. Nope. He seems very happy. He hangs out with his grandchildren and plays video games. Like, sounds good to me. (laughs) That's what I want to do. Um, all right. Anything else to mention on complexity? I just thought that was an interesting thing to think about as far as, you know, my favorite games and 
where they fall on the scale and what about them? We need to do an episode on rule books again. Again, we should revisit that one. I have yep. more opinions, I'm sure. Yeah. They're probably um, the same opinions. We should do topics <laughs> yeah, on eating while gaming. <laughs> yeah. The best Another one we We covered that a lot in our uh, game parties, maybe? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, just to kind of tie this back to complexity and rule with rule books, the number one barrier to board games is the rule book. And, you know, when Jamie came out with Tapestry and said the rule book's only four pages long, I'm sure what he was trying to do was say, this has a very low barrier of entry. The complexity comes out of the interactions and in playing the game, not in that there's a bunch of complicated rules. And a lot of publishers are trying all kinds of different ways to eliminate the rule book, but it's very, very difficult to do when, you know, someone's got to know what the rules of these games are. So you kind of trick it. It's like, well, we teach you as you go. You just, you just open the box and just start reading the cards and do what the cards say and you're, you're good to go. Um, but when you have to manage games and manage components and stuff, that rule book is there to kind of guide that process and, I say I think it's it's worth investigating deeper to see if there's a way of getting rid of rule books that we think of. But we'll do that on a future episode. Maybe we'll just do that next week because I don't have any other topic for next week. All right. So next week, rule books. And this week, we're done. So you can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Twitter at Tabletop Game TLK, Kitty is Lawful Good Mom, Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. You can leave us an iTunes review if you want. You can help us out at Patreon at TabletopGameTalk.com slash Patreon. And the rest of this is for Kitty. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at TabletopGameTalk.com. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Milner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Hamowitz, Jerry Wong, Stephen Phillips, Kelly O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrett, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate DeFaz, Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric Sealander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Verneg, and Chris Lowe. Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wolkowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letgo, John Lewis, Joe Raxdad, Ron Nelson, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keith, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Stoth, Paul Raymer, Timothy, and Matthew Droke. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. Kitty, you made it through without any coughing fits. No, I think you just weren't paying very much attention. (laughs) They're in there, listeners. You heard them, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm not going through and editing them out, so... It wasn't too bad. Where's Kitty hacking at the (laughs) lop-a-lop?